Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. This is Writing While Handicapped. I'm Derek McFadden, author of What Death Taught Terrence. I am here with the author of The Sign for Home. His name is Blair Fell. The book is great, you guys. So definitely take a look at it. How are you doing, Blair? Nice to meet you. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me here. What's the launch been like for you? I know it's it just came out recently. So what's that been like? It's been interesting. I mean, last week when it first came out, it was like, you know, a little bit crazy and stuff. But I think, as you know, as an author, there's like also like, is this what it's supposed to be? What's it supposed to feel like? Yeah. Am I, I do. doing something wrong? <laughs> you know, I have no idea. But it's been fine. I saw my book in the library, New York Public Library yesterday. Oh, so my that made, gosh. That made me happy. Uh, all right. So yeah. what inspired this novel? Well, it, what inspired it was I've been in a ASL interpreter for 30 years, and I started learning ASL when I was, uh, I guess when I was 18, when I first went to college. I went to college in D.C., and I um, started studying sign language at Gallaudet, and then uh, because of a broken heart, I transferred to Gallaudet, which is a, the only liberal arts deaf university in the world and I transferred there as a special student and lived with the deaf and had my most of my professors were deaf the good ones anyway and uh that's how I started on the journey and then just 30 years working between these two worlds of the deaf uh and hearing and deafblind and hearing to a lesser extent and then I have no deafblind friends and uh one big story or rather one of the main you know, igniters of the idea mm -hmm. was I have a, a good friend who's deaf blind and uh, he was struggling with a dating app because he couldn't see the interface. He had Usher syndrome, like the character in the book. Mm -hmm. And there's always pop-ups and like, where the hell is the email and like all of that. And he couldn't do it. And he asked me to help him with his dating profile. And so I took his picture and, you know, he signed his, uh, what he wanted in his profile to me. And then I would periodically check it and email him the messages, not the messages. I would put a message he wrote, which is, hey, I don't check this very often. Could mm -hmm. you um, um, either telephone me or email me? Then he could use his phone or his computer to reverse the, um, you know, the black and the white to enlarge the text and he'd be able to read um, any messages that they sent him. Um, but I was always responsible for cutting and pasting his message into any people I thought were his taste. So I was given the responsibility to be like, oh, is this someone that is like, you know, what he's into? That's a um, big responsibility. It was, but I knew him pretty well. Yeah. So I kind of knew what he was into and, and all of that. And I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. Now, I mean, he has Usher syndrome, so he was born deaf and then uh, 
because retinitis pigmentosa is part of the condition, you know, he had night blindness, then tunnel vision, and he also has macular degeneration. Uh, And so a lot of, I was just curious, like, how does attraction change as you lose your vision? Uh, And, and all that, I was just curious about that, because me, I'm an extremely vain, uh, just to describe myself, I'm middle-aged, to put it kindly, um, you know, gay man with dark brown hair and, mm-hmm. and scruff and wearing a black shirt and I have tattoos on my one arm, but I'm, I, you know, very vain guy and I've always based my attraction on the sound of a voice and what someone looks like. And I was just like curious, like, hey, dude, what do you, to my friend Martin, what do you what are you attracted to now? And he, he started elaborating on that about, you know, it's the the feel of a person's body. It's the smell of their breath. You know, it's the content of what they're talking about and all these other things that because I'm this vain, shallow person, Mm -hmm. I didn't really think of a lot. And it made me interested in that. And then all the things for 30 years as this person living between the worlds uh, that I saw that really bothered me with with the deaf and the deaf blind in the sense of, you know, people saying, oh, tell him. No, like, no, no, just just talk to him. I'm just your voice, just the voice in the room. Just talk to him or, you know, those or like, oh, d- nurses being like, don't worry. I, I wrote back and forth with the person in the hospital. They understand. I'm like, do you know if they read? Do you have you checked that out? Can they see the words that you wrote? Right, yeah. exactly. Or, but a lot of the people that I've worked with over the years in New York, because a lot of them uh, either did not have parents that spoke to them at all, and they didn't have a language, so they went to school. So that, um, you know, it's it's called uh, language deprivation. So their their English can be very wonky. Or uh, in New York, we have a lot of people that were born in other countries. They mm-hmm. moved here three years ago, and they didn't have a language in their country, and they learned ASL three years ago, and their English is n- nil. But these nurses are like, oh, well, there's captions on TV. Therefore, all these deaf people know how to read. Not so fast. Mm-hmm. And so all of those kind of uh, things, I'm like, oh, it's, I kind of want to address that, but also the weirdness of what it is to be an interpreter, you know, to be in a room between those worlds and, and kind of like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the ethics when you see how brilliant this deaf or deaf blind person is, but the hearing person has all these prejudice against them and doesn't understand how to meet them where they're at. And they're the things like issue wise, I wanted to get in there. Also, I wanted to see a love story with a mm-hmm. deafblind hero, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a population, even in a lot of the reviews that have been written, uh, especially when they, you know, pair me with other, there's a couple other books about deaf characters. They just, oh, they're all the same. And it's not the same. The deafblind community is a different community than the deaf community. Yes, it's a oh, sub-community. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's I just kind of wanted to give visibility to that and visibility to this life I've lived as an interpreter slash writer. Well, that's that. I mean, I have to say you did a really great job of because I know what it's like to be handicapped in the way that I'm handicapped. But that doesn't mean I know anything necessarily about what it's like to be handicapped in different ways. So um, and yet I felt when I was reading Arlo and he would describe how he was talked to by women or by girls and that he was talk- and that they would talk about his 
his disability as if it was all he was. Mm-hmm. That really rang true for me as as somebody who, I mean, and I think people do that because they're they're trying to be kind. They want to be kind, number one, but they people don't know how to re, how to relate, and 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 necessarily. Um, so, how did you decide on the Jehovah's Witness angle? <laughs> well, so much. So much in the book is whatever was happening in my life at the moment I was writing it um, Mm -hmm. that I just kind of like, I mean, it's my first novel. I used to be a playwright and a television writer and I write essays and I wrote speeches, but I didn't think I could write a novel and it just seemed huge. And, and I just kind of let kind of the world flow over me. One thing that I talk about in the book, which is true in New York, um, ASL interpreters tend to be, uh, you know, these like really political feminists, uh, children of deaf adults, gay men, lesbians, and Jehovah's Witnesses. So mm-hmm. a lot of the people I would work with, and they're great, you know, the, many of them are like wonderful, wonderful interpreters. I also work with a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And mm-hmm. that particular summer when I was starting to work a little bit more intensely on the book, my team for the summer on a job was an ex-Jehovah's Witness, a lesbian ex-Jehovah's Witness. And she just told me stories that that bothered me a lot about how the world she was grew up in because she was born to a deaf mother and a father that left, but the deaf mother was Jehovah's Witness. She, when she was 15, fell in love with a another Jehovah's Witness girl, and they were um, separated and not allowed to see each other. And she was like, no, I'm in love with her and the hell with you. And so she was shunned bit by bit. Her Mm. mother took her back in because she's like, you're my daughter. I'm still a Jehovah's Witness. Just to be short on this story, because it's an amazing story, is her mother eventually came out as a lesbian too. And now her... The girl she fell in love with when she was 15 years old, they're in their 30s now, the mother... The lover she met in a Jehovah's Witness meeting in New Jersey, all four of them live happily with their babies in Las Vegas. So that's a really amazing story. I was working with her when I started uh, dealing with this, and then I had other former Jehovah's Witness informants that told me the horror stories of having to tell little gay Jehovah's Witness kids that they would go to hell unless they stopped being gay. and. It was just, it was just horrifying. So that kind of informed it. And then it's also so much with Jehovah's Witnesses, don't, don't celebrate birthdays, don't celebrate Christmas, don't even let your children hang out with non-Jehovah's Witnesses, keep them isolated so that they won't uh, be exposed to the world. And to me, that paralleled, you know, how a deaf blind person is trying to know the world and it has to be mediated for them, you know, with an interpreter, with a support service provider, mm-hmm. the world gets mediated for them. And there is the, this parallel with Jehovah's witnesses trying to mediate the world, but in a way that doesn't allow them into the world. And so I thought that was yeah. interesting. That story blew my mind, man. Uh, that, wow. Uh, that story you just told, um, uh, who is Arlo? Who is Arlo? I mean, he's a, a character. I mean, in the book, I mean, Arlo is a 23-year-old, deafblind, uh, straight Jehovah's Witness. Uh, he's a very curious man, but has been 
basically kept isolated by his strict uncle. He's also someone that has language deprivation in that he had very limited access to sign language until he goes to the school when he's 13 years old. His mother didn't know sign language. His uncle didn't know sign language. But when he's 13 and he goes to the school, uh, in the book, he's most of the book takes place when he's 23. But he has these flashbacks to going to a school when he's 13 years old, when he first gets really introduced to AI cell by other deaf and deafblind people. And that just changes his world because he finally has this language that he loves that he can communicate with. At 23, his English is, is very wonky, which is why he goes to take this English class because at the end of summer, he's supposed to go on a mission with his uncle and be a good Jehovah's Witness. But his uh, English is not good. And his uncle's like, you need to pr- improve your English so you can be able to you know write sermons and go, you know, preach the word of the Lord. So he takes this class at a community college in Poughkeepsie, and he needs a team interpreter for his other interpreter, who's a Jehovah's, his longtime Jehovah's Witness interpreter, Molly. And he kind of wants a male interpreter. And he's given this male interpreter who's not Jehovah's Witness, is agnostic, and is also gay. And that's where the book really begins is when Molly and Cyril, the the gay non-Jehovah's Witness interpreter, are the team interpreters for Arlo in this English class. And that's what starts the ball rolling and starts opening Arlo's mind that some of the world that has been interpreted for him hasn't been interpreted accurately. And he isn't aware of the ADA. He isn't aware of his rights, isn't aware how an interpreter is supposed to behave with him. And the interpreter he gets is, is the guy Cyril. Yes. I like Cyril a lot. How much of you is in Cyril? There's a lot of me in Cyril, other than um, I'm also like short, dark haired. Cyril is taller than me, thin, red haired. I wanted to kind of make a little bit of a separation. I also think Cyril's a way better interpreter than me, in my opinion. Um, and also, <laughs> truthfully, and this is scary, I think when I was younger, Cyril actually controls himself a little bit better than I did. When I was a young interpreter, I was like, I had a, a terrible habit of. And I learned from deaf people not to do this, but like telling hearing people off uh, because they would just like, just be so awful. I would just like blow up. And it was like, you can't do that because that, <laughs> that affects the deaf person. Do not do that. I'm much better with that now, but still that kind of fiery um, has to control himself thing is in Cyril that he sees these things happening, but okay, what is the ethical way to do this as an interpreter? You know, how can I serve the the client? But once in a while, it's like, I am just like fed up, you know, this hearing person is just, and just like, kind of like in the, the cafeteria scene, like when the people are like being dicks trying to rush Arlo along. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So good Um, in that. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's like there's a, a bit, I'd say 30% of Cyril is me, 70% is not me. Although there's certain little things, everything I write has memoir in it, like hidden in it. Um, just I think a, we all do that. All of us who are authors. Yeah, if, if, I think we have to. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. I mean, if it's going to be a good book, if it's, I, I think we have to get to those essences of ourselves. Interestingly enough, I never thought this book would be published. So the second book that I finished and I'll 
and the polishing, there's this little tiny biographical element that's in Cyril that is basically the main element in the second book because I never thought this book would be published. And now I have two books with kind of a similar you know, underlying theme in, in the sign for home, a little bit more out there theme in this book, which is called Disco Witches of Fire Island. Ooh. Very different, very different topic, but and book, but uh, a little bit similar memoir stuff shoved in there. So I know you were talking about how it's a love story. Can you talk a little bit about about who S is? And, you know, as much as you want to say, I, know I don't want to spoil the book. So. Right. I'm going to try not to give anything away. Um, S is a girl he fell in love with when he was around 17 years old at this boarding school for the deaf. And he thought he lost her forever. I won't go into the details of that. But he realizes with his work with Cyril and with this writing exercise he's doing for his English professor and also um, his encouragement from Cyril to write his old friends that maybe she's not lost forever. And it was his great love of his life. And he goes on this journey eventually to find out what happened to her. Uh, interesting thing about S, while I was writing it, this is, I don't know if you can relate to this as a, as a writer, but I was just like, <laughs> I had trouble making one really vital decision, and that was the gender of S. Mm. Um, because in my research on deaf blindness and with deaf blind people, I read an essay written by an English deaf blind man who said something that I don't necessarily think is true, but he said this when he was young. Um, he had a lot of boarding school sexual experiences with other men. And when he got older, he wanted to find a wife with a hairy chest. Um, he ended oh. up marrying a woman who didn't have a hairy chest, had children, you know, and ostensibly is, I, I think he actually does define himself as bisexual. But mm -hmm. he had a theory that, oh, maybe all deafblind people are bisexual. I do not think this is true at all, because I have lots of friends that are very much on all sides of uh, their expression of their sexuality. The spectrum. Right. Yeah. But I thought, oh, what if I wrote a book that anyone of any, any orientation could read and make S whatever they wanted? So in the first draft of this book, if it wasn't hard enough, I actually did not define S's gender at all. And it was wow. just for the reader to define S's gender. And then at a certain point, I'm like, Oh, I'm like trying to kind of get people to understand what it is to be an interpreter, what it is to be a deaf blind person, all these other things. This is too hard and maybe I should make a decision. And then I'm, I'm glad I settled on S being a, a woman and Arlo being straight because that also emphasizes the the tension, but also the wonderfulness of the relationship between his gay interpreter and him. And that's right. something myself I've experienced as an interpreter is the amazing ways in relationships that I have. I have clients that are fund fundamentalist Christian, that are much more conservative, that are uh, Muslim. And, you know, their faith is like, you're gay. But then we get to know each other and we become good friends and all of that stuff drops away. And it's not vital to the care that we have for each other and the and the work that we do together and so i wanted to 
you don't have that in this journey in this book. And I'm really glad I made the decision I did. The other thing was a neat experiment, but um, it would have probably saved me a year of writing if I didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But but I did do that for a while. Well, and I think one of the things that's so great about this book is the found family element. Because he has, Arlo has his family in his uncle and, and all of that, but his, the found family element of all of his friends at the school and then uh, his, his, his stuff with Cyril and Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Hannah, uh, Hannah. Hannah, thank you. Um, it's, it's weird for me because I'm so used to your voice because I, I listened to your voice for like five or 10 hours, however long the, the book was. Um, and, bless you, and, bless and, you. <laughs> and thanks to your publisher for, uh, for letting me have that early so we could uh, do this and so I could be smart sounding. It's very important. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, all right, I think we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted to ask you if, um, if readers or our listeners wanted to get in contact with you online, how would they do that? Do you have a website, anything like that? Uh, you can uh, get to my website at blairfell.com. Uh, it's just my name.com. You know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. You know, write me, contact me. I love talking to the readers. Um, that's like one of the most exciting things about social media right now is, is this interface I have with the readers. And it's really... It's really exciting. It's uh, I'm, I, I have like some great readers already, and that has meant the world to me. I mean, far more than you know. I've gotten you know the book's gotten like a bunch of good reviews in newspapers, but it's like those Instagram reviewers that like write to me, and that's what I'm most excited about. So I please feel you on that. do stay I feel in touch. You on that. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Writing well handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And we appreciate uh, Blair for coming on. And uh, his book is called The Sign for Home. Um, and I, it's great, you guys. It's, it's honestly, I'm going to tell you, it's the best book I've read this year. Not, I'm not saying that because he's here. And, uh, you know, I'm saying it because it's true. All right. Thank you so much. And, I, and, and, uh, and thanks for being here. And goodbye, everybody.